Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Kaya, and welcome to The Curve Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded in Bulu, Western Australia, sovereignty never ceded. On this episode, I chat with Aussie filmmaker Jack Dignan about his found footage horror film Puzzle Box. Olivia, played by Leneka Denny, heads out to the remote house in the woods to help her sister Kate, played by Caitlin Boyer, rehabilitate and escape her life of addiction. Olivia aims to document the process, almost in a way to show how far Kate will heal and change over time. Little does she know, instead of documenting Kate's rehabilitation, she instead manages to document the labyrinth-like house that they become trapped in, where time loops over itself and unsettling events occur in the night. Puzzle Box would have its Australian premiere at the upcoming A Night of Horror International Film Festival in Sydney on September 29th. This is the second time that Jack has had a film screen at the festival with his previous film, After She Died, winning the Best Australian Feature Film and Best Australian Feature Performance in 2022. In the following interview, Jack talks about where his interest in found footage films comes from and how working on films like Marvel's Shang-Chi and George Miller's Furiosa differs from working on an independent feature film, as well as how his previous work as a film critic informs his work as a director. To find out more about Jack's work, head over to jackdignan.com. And to find out more about interviews and reviews that I've done, head over to thecurb.com.au. And to pick up tickets for a Night of Horror International Film Festival, make sure to visit the link in the show notes. For, for now, here is a trailer to Puzzle Box. What I want to start talking about is jumping back to your beginning as deciding to become a filmmaker. What was the, the fertile ground that that idea got set into that this is what I want to do going forward? Yeah, I mean, well, big question. Uh, I guess it goes, it goes way back, you know. I mean, when I was a, a little tiny Jack, you know, very small and young, I mean, I was, I was very into animation and I was very into you know like the Pixar films when I was a kid like Toy Story and things like that and then uh documentaries and I for a while I thought I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker and when I say that I mean when I was like five years old and then from there it kind of just like naturally transitioned into movies and I, I don't know if there was ever a moment where I was like oh this is what I'm gonna do it was just kind of like always always the path I was heading down and yeah, just over the years, just made it a reality. And was there a particular film that you looked at 
and said, you know, this is the kind of story that I want to tell? Was there a horror film that you watched as a kid or something that maybe had horror elements in it that you were like, yeah, that's that's hit the the spot. I think there's several several key films across the years. I think it's always been a genre that I've I've quite gravitated towards. You know, when, when you're younger, it feels like sort of a forbidden genre that you're not quite allowed to watch. And then you know, your, your parents let you watch one, and it traumatizes you for life. I think the first one I ever watched, it's not even really super scary, but you know, when you're very young, I, I watched The Sixth Sense and I couldn't sleep for like a week. Um, and then I think that just sort of kick-started a love for it it led me into into being obsessed with like tim burton when i was a little kid and from there that was just that was just opened up the the gates for for the whole genre and i mean i don't know the, the, the older i get the more i find myself drawn to it as well you know i think it's a really creative genre i think there's a there's a lot of unique things you can do in it that other genres don't quite allow you to do and i don't know it's, it's just the genre i i continually come back to over the years you know i'll, I'll always watch every Every new horror film every week. <laughs> there is something that is quite uh, comforting about horror, as you're saying, like it's it's such a varied genre, but there's something that you know that you're going to get something that might be a little bit unhinged or it might set you on edge, but at least there is a safety with that, that you can go in and engage with that in a in a sense that, uh, yeah, letting, my, letting yourself go towards a horror film is, is one of the great treats. I know growing up, like for me, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I watched that far too young and I let myself go to that and it just, it's unsettling. And, and it's interesting you mentioned The Sixth Sense, like that in itself is an unsettling film. When you think about it, it's a really depressing, sad film, but it's also got some generally horrifying moments in it. The scene where you get, the little kid gets like locked in that, what's the, the little place he gets locked into and you hear the ghost in there, but you can't see anything. I was like, that is a terrifying sequence. It's upsetting. And there is something that's enjoyable about being upset by something that you watch. But I'm curious for you as a creator of horror films, what's it like being somebody who is creating something that will upset people that might cause them to, to feel disturbed? Yeah. Uh, another good question. I mean, I, it's interesting. It's, it's such a, it's such a, a unique genre in that way because I don't know if my goal is ever to upset people you know I don't I don't want people to necessarily walk out of my movies and be like god I just I hate life and I hate watching films and god I'm so worst genre ever I mean you want to scare people you want to give people a, a good scare you want to hopefully uh uh make people you know double check what's hiding in the dark corners of their room when they get home at night especially with this one you know we were very much wanting to make people feel scared of, you know, walking down a hallway or, you know, we're seeing what's downstairs or upstairs. And um, we were trying to make the house a terrifying uh, labyrinth that you, you can easily get lost in. But, you know, I don't know if that's the main takeaway I ever want from my movies. I think between my first film after she died and, you know, without spoiling what happens in, in Puzzle Box, I think it begins very much within the realm of horror and it begins with all these jump scares and it begins with these terrifying concepts and not that we ever drop that you know we, we keep it consistent throughout the whole movie but as you would know by the time we get to the, the the finale it sort of it becomes something more and i i always want audiences to to take away something from the end of the movie and i want them to realize that all of these scares and all of these these jump scares and these horrific characters they've all been building towards this climax that um Oh, I'm trying not to spoil it now, but, you know, it, it ties all of the elements together in a way that uh, hopefully resonates in a, a quite a moving and interesting way, if that makes sense, without giving away my entire plot. <laughs> no, no, it does, because that, that leads into the next question, which is about ensuring that 
the the horror or the scares that you you're working with have an emotional underpinning how important is that for you to have that as that kind of context for the script to work on and you know for the actors to build on to have that emotional bond between two siblings in particular for puzzle box like it's got to be like a really vital thing i imagine yeah, absolutely. It, it's probably the most vital thing I think we were talking about during uh, rehearsals and shooting it. Um, we had a script, but it was very loose. Um, we had all of the key beats and all of the scenes and breakdowns and whatnot. And then there was there was dialogue on the page, but it was it was very it was very loose. And I wanted to give the actors the opportunity to to do their own version of it and improvise scenes and come up with their own dynamic between the two characters. So we only had a short little rehearsal period deliberately we we could we we talked about possibly doing a, a more extensive rehearsal period but i wanted to keep it quite loose deliberately um so most of the rehearsals weren't even rehearsing the script it was more so rehearsing these two characters and rehearsing their backstory and coming up with scenes that never even made the movie and just finding the dynamic there and then once we had that locked into it once once we'd had the characters you know pretty much well realized um we were able to bring that to set and bring that into the scares. And um, we had to make sure that all of the scares related back to all of these things that we discussed and planned about with the characters and with the actors. Um, so all of the scares had to tie back into who Kate, our protagonist, is as a person. I found that I had to, well, during the editing process as well, we had a bunch of scares that were just kind of there to be scares. You know, there was just characters popping out and things running at the camera. And it was kind of like, okay, you know, they're, they're scary scenes, you know, maybe they'll make the Blu-ray and there'll be a deleted scenes. But in terms of the actual narrative, they don't quite play into her emotional arc. They don't quite play into her character development and the, the journey she goes on to, to rehabilitate herself. Uh, and so, you know, I have to always ask myself, you know, does, does this scare, A, does the scare work? And if it does, great, awesome. But then B, does it tie into who she is as a character? And if the answer to that is no, um, then the scare gets cut. You know, it's it doesn't it doesn't make the film. It doesn't progress her arc forward in in any way, shape, or form. So there's there's no need for a film for for a scene like that to be in this movie. That's I completely understand that. Let's talk about the the characters here. So we've got Caitlin Boyer, who is I know her from the Furies, which is this really, uh, it's a polar opposite kind of horror film. It is bloody and bleak and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, she has a great death and that gets her face cut clean off. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the most memorable death in the, the, the film. It is unflinching. Um, but I'm curious if you can talk about, uh, how you went about building the character with her and, and you know, what the, the casting process was like with her as well. Yeah, well, I, I knew Caitlin before making this movie, so we were already friends, and so I wrote the film for her to be in it. So she was always the lead. She was always the the reason I pretty much made the movie was to to work with her, you know, her excuse for us to work together. Um, hence the reason why that character's name is Kate, because I was like, if I put her name, she'll definitely have to say yes to it. Quick, I pitched it to her in, like, November, December last year, and then I, I, I sent her a first draft before Christmas, and we were filming in March, so it was a real quick turnaround. We already had a strong dynamic a strong bond and we were both keen to work with each other so it was just pretty much hey here's the film here's what I want to do I want to develop it with you I want to help I want you to help me find this character more I want you to elevate what's on the page uh and she did you know we had a lot of conversations just between her and I uh about the character and about her backstory and we went deep into to things that only translate to a single line in film you know there's, there's a lot of different elements that we put together and 
you know, each day on set, we were we were just talking through before we started shooting about, you know, the meaning behind certain scenes and certain lines of dialogue and how we can change those lines and how we can, you know, we were rewriting on the spot. You know, I, I had the script on my iPad. I had a little, my little Apple pen. We were just crossing off lines and rewriting new lines and coming up with things on the spot just to to develop her character. And I mean, it was the same with Lanika, who plays um, Olivia in the film, but Caitlin was the was the, uh, the the genesis of this movie. So it all kind of built around her as both a, an actor and a character. And they become cinematographers too, in a way, too. Um, they do, yes. They, yeah. They're both in charge of the camera. <laughs> Can you talk about that creative choice as well? Uh, obviously, it is a core aspect of, of found footage, but... You know, I know that some found footage films are shot by a cinematographer and others are shot by the actors. So can you talk about the discussion behind that and also what kind of uh, training or, I guess, guidance did you give them as they were shooting the film? You know, it was always meant to be a found footage movie. It was There was never any question about the format that we'd shoot it. I know, I know there's a lot of horror movies that, you know, back in the, the heyday of found footage that, that didn't begin as found footage films and they, they changed it to to save money. But ours was always meant to be a found footage movie so that was always in the script the way that the two characters sort of at one point one person's filming the other point another person's filming and they switched the camera around at different points in the movie that was always going to be the plan uh it was always the pitch to the actors uh they're, they're both pretty creative they're both directors in their own right they're both filmmakers in their own right Lenika and Caitlin um so they they know their way around the camera probably more so than I do we had like one day camera rehearsal like literally the day before we started shooting I was like here's the camera Here's the style of shooting. Here's our test footage of all the transitions and how to get that right. And I had a lot of trust in them. I I I, I believed in them. And so I each each time before we'd start shooting, I would I would take the camera and I would show them the sort of general blocking I want. I'd show them the sort of the shot that we're after. And then I would I would pretty much hand it off to them and let them have their own go. And uh, after each take, I'd sit down with them. We watch it. I give them notes on both the performance and both the, uh, the, the camera shots. Yeah. From there, it was just, it's just a very creative collaborative situation we found ourselves in. And there's a few shots that I'm also behind the camera on. I won't spoil which, but there's, there's a few sneaky ones that uh, I was just like, yeah, it's easier if I just do it. No one's in this shot anyway. It's fine. Uh, we'd ADR the dialogue afterwards. No, it was good. I mean, they, they nail it and they brought, they brought their own extra dynamic to it as well. You know, I mean, I'd show them the shot, but they they give it something I didn't even think of, which elevated the shot. I, one of the things I noticed as well is that there was almost like this, you get a sense of the personality of the person by the way that they hold the camera and by the way that they, you know, frame shots as well. Obviously, you're, you're showing them where things should be and what should be in frame, but it's also one is a little bit more jittery than the other and you just get a sense of who they are or their emotional state of of where they're sitting in that moment can you talk about possibly creating a character through cinematography how how that informs who they are as characters that that was that we definitely were conscious of that as we were shooting it and that that is the reason why we had to we establish kate first from the perspective of olivia so we have to see olivia's point of view of the world so we get sort of a a subjective view of who she is as a person uh, and we see we slowly unravel the truth and then when we make that shift and then Caitlin becomes the one who's in charge of the camera we it, the film takes on a different perspective entirely you know we we so often in found footage I, I the person behind the camera you, you don't even know what they look like throughout the whole movie you know you never really get a sense of who they are as a person and, and because this film is only it's only got two central characters, right? There's other people that appear throughout it, but it's the two central characters for a lot of the film. Um, I wanted to make sure that we knew who those people were the entire time. 
Um, I didn't want one of them to get lost behind the camera for the entire movie. You know, we'd never see their face. We'd never really get a sense of who they are. So it was very important for me to establish one and then switch and then, you know, go back and forth throughout the film. And they got very quite competitive about that as well. Actually, when we were shooting it, they were all trying to compete to get the uh, the better shot. And they're always asking who was who was the better camera operator. And I'll never reveal my secrets. But uh, they both brought a, a yeah a really unique uh, visual perspective to it, which I quite liked. It is again that it is a nice visual perspective, and we get an idea of who they are as people. I'm curious if you can talk about if there are any found footage films that inspired you. In the making of this, was there something that you looked at as a template that you went, yeah, this is the kind of film that I want to use as a reference point? Yeah, we ha- uh, there's a bunch of reference points that were used. I sent a, a big list of like, I think five or six, maybe even seven found footage movies to the actors to watch beforehand, and they watched none of them, but that's okay. We talked about films like Rec, the, the Spanish film from 2007, I want to say, um, which has a very similar visual style to ours, where it starts quite you know natural lighting, and they're walking through this house, and then it becomes a light rigged on top of a camera, and that's your only real source of light and then it goes into night vision towards the end of under end of wreck um so that was a big inspiration Blair Witch Project obviously is is the the godfather of of found footage movies I mean that's that's the all-time great one um me and Caitlin actually watched that the night before shooting because we were living in the house together like me and the cast so literally the night before shooting we just kind of put it on just to get into that sort of found footage mindset you know just to to live in that world for a little bit and we took a lot of of visual cues from that and even recent films, I mean, like Skinamarink, I, I quite liked the visual. It's not quite found, it's sort of found footage. It's a, it's a very unique style, uh, which I was, I was quite a fan of. And I, I liked their use of grain and their use of darkness as well. So even looking at modern found footage films like that, I, we were able to take inspiration from. I'm curious for you, obviously you used to do film criticism as well. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing how that has informed you as a filmmaker, like, you know, we as critics sit there and, and absorb so much and yet we've got to kind of distill onto a page and say why this is good, why this is not good and that kind of stuff. But I'm curious if you can talk about what, you know, your journey as a film critic managed to do as a filmmaker. How did it inform you as a filmmaker? Yes, I I started, I mean, I'll say reviewing in quotations when I was 14 years old. So I sort of kept a little little blog and they're all well and truly off the internet by this point. But they, you know, there was a, there's been a record of, of my uh, uh, opinions on film somewhere from a very young age. But no, I, I, I really enjoyed my time as a, as, a, as a film critic and a film journalist. And I had a self-run website that I ran. I, ran, I wrote for some other publications and I always enjoyed critical analysis of films. And I always enjoy, even now, I mean, I still read reviews. I'll still read articles. I don't know. I, I enjoy the deep dive into what makes this film work and, and what, what didn't work for me personally. And, you know, it's, it's never like, it's, it's always, it's always objective. You know, it's always a personal opinion. You can't ever speak for like, this is the general consensus on this movie. It's like, no, that's not real film journalism. You know, that's not, you're just, you're talking for everyone at that point. Uh, and, you know, at times I'd fall into that trap where I'm like, it's the worst movie of the year. It's like, no, I just think it's the worst movie of the year, but I'm not going to tell people that because then I can't force their opinion on it. So I, don't know, I learned a lot about how to approach films analytically. Um, you know, I, I was self-taught through journalism. I never studied it because obviously I was doing it since I was 14 and just had to sort of evolve my own critical voice. Whether I've, I've been conscious of that voice while making movies, I'm not sure. I'm sure on a subconscious level, I, it's definitely still in there you know like how i think like okay if i was going to review my own movie like what would i say about it you know how would i review this script are people going to like it is it going to is it going to land for audiences so i'm always aware of 
how I want the audiences to feel and how I how I guess I want the reviews to be, but maybe not in those exact words. Well, it's, it's interesting because, like, I've, I've talked to journalists who have become filmmakers and, you know, in Australia at least, there aren't... We have a few film, like, filmmakers who have come from a uh, journalism background or a film criticism background, but it's not not too many of us that have decided, yeah, I can do this. And I, I always love seeing that journey because, you know, there are a lot of great people who have started in film criticism and then have transitioned over to filmmaking. And I always take my hat off because I know I couldn't do it. Like I, I, if somebody put a camera in my hands and said, go and make a film, I would fuck it up real quick. Um, so it's always, you know, I'm, I'm always in awe of people who make that transition and are able to tell a story really well on screen at, like you have done with puzzle box which i think is it's quite a, a fascinating uh indie horror film which leads into the next question which is how you manage to craft a story within a limited budget and knowing that you're going into a story how do you make sure that you've got the best looking stuff on screen to get the best atmosphere the best like scares or jumps or frights or whatever within a limited budget. This this film had a much smaller budget deliberately than than my first film after she died. That film after she died was was a lot of self-raising funds and bringing in investors and then convincing everyone I know to give me some money and I owe them favors for the rest of my life now because of it. And I am in development slash trying to get funding in it at the moment for a, for a different film that's bigger than both of these movies combined. But I knew that that was a way ways off at the time. So I thought to myself, okay, I kind of just want to do something that's much smaller, you know, that's that's more... I can just smash out, you know, I can, I can do for a very limited budget, even less than anything I've ever done with people that I love working with people that I've worked with before people that I know personally, or that my producer Morgan, he also brought in a bunch of crew that he knows personally. And we got together a real good, good team of just enthusiastic up and coming filmmakers and actors and uh, wonderful people. And so the goal was always to do something for such a limited budget. And that was the appeal of found footage as well, you know, is that you can, I mean, A, I've loved the, the the style and the subgenre of it for years and years and years. I mean, I was at a great age when Paranormal Activity came out. I was quite young and it, it that was the, the the sort of start of this trend of found footage movies for a number of years. And I I was sort of sad when it died off a bit because I, I loved the format so much. So I, I always wanted to do something like that and I, I wanted to do something that could sort of stretch my creativity into an area that I haven't explored before. And I figured that was a... A good uh, a good mix of styles and um yeah i don't know it just kind of happened and uh we just kind of took what we love about this genre and this style and put it all together to try and make the scariest craziest wildest most fun found footage movie that we could outside of this i know that you've worked in some capacity on films like Shang chi thor love and thunder and then furiosa as well so they're massive hollywood budget films what have you taken from working on those that you're able to apply to your own work? So much, so so much. This the 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 first day on the set of Shang Chi, which is my first ever like blockbuster movie. You know, I've done short films and student films, and you know, you go to film school, whatever. You're like, I know how to make a movie, but then you you get to the set of of something like Shang Chi, and you know, you walk onto set for the first day, and there's just like hundreds of people everywhere and millions of dollars of equipment. And you're like, oh, I have no idea how to make a movie. This 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 is how you make a movie. Okay, and so it was just a really it's just been a really good learning experience just to sort of be there with all of these like Oscar winning filmmakers and the best crew in the world and all these amazing actors and just being a part of it and seeing the way that they work and having a small little contribution to how it all comes together is is, is very exciting but the, the most exciting part for me was just getting to absorb 
how that all runs, you know, how a set like that runs, how each department works together, how these famous directors direct these actors. And, you know, you find that everyone does direct quite differently. Um, I don't think any of the directors I've worked with have had the same style or approach, which I love. I, I, I love seeing how they how they tackle different types of movies. And I don't know, it's just, I, I was able to bring so much of that into into my experience as a filmmaker. And then I, I got to the set the uh, first day of After She Died and I was like, okay, I've been on these big sets now. I know how to make a movie. Uh, and then I started making After She Died and I was like, oh, I still don't have any idea how to make a movie. This, this is still a massive learning curve. And so it really took to the end of that film where I was like, I sort of felt confident as a director. Uh, and at that point, the film's over. So you just have to hope that you, what you shot was good. I am proud of that movie, but those experiences combined, I, I felt a lot more confident coming into Puzzle Box and a lot more assured of myself as a filmmaker and my knowledge of how how filmmaking works. And even through Puzzle Box, I mean, I, I once again, I learned so much about, especially working with actors. It was it was a way more uh, collaborative experience than I've had on other films deliberately because we we wanted it to be this sort of loose back and forth. I didn't want total control of the script or of the characters. I wanted them to explore it. And so it was, I don't know, I learned a lot about that through this process as well. And I, I don't know, I'm excited to bring it all into my next project and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that. You're talking about like being surrounded by a lot of multi-million dollar things and, you know, Oscar winning filmmakers and stuff like that. That's a huge level of stuff. How do you take that knowledge and then condense it down to micro budget filmmaking? Like there's, and and basically where you all of you know each of the the roles that might be in a film might then be condensed into one person which is you so how do you how did you manage that kind of navigation uh creatively i was very surprised to find that you know your your thirty thousand dollar sets and your 300 million dollar sets uh are kind of run the same way everyone's kind of moving towards the same goal and they're moving towards it in the same approach it's just a matter of time and money but structurally i mean every set's pretty much unless unless you were doing a horrific job of running a set every set is pretty much the the same set you know it's it's got the same dynamics it's got the same people in the same roles the bigger budget the more people obviously so you can you can split those roles off into into several departments and several people when you get to after she died or even smaller with puzzle box it, it is like you said it, it's 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 different people taking on several jobs at once having that experience of seeing 10 people do what one person's doing on this job. You, you get a strong understanding of like each little component and how it all comes together perfectly and what you should be aware of when you're doing that role on a smaller budget. So you, I don't know, you just, you just, you just know more. Yes. That's a cocky way of putting it, I guess. No, not at all. I, I don't think it is because it is, I mean, that's part of the thing. Like it's a, it's a huge aspect of why these kinds of films are allowed to be made in Australia. It's the, the notion that is upskilling people, it is getting that experience of working on a bigger production. So when you do, you do your own film, you can then apply what you've learned there here on a lo local level. And I mean, like, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to do every single job that I've done on these films by myself for every film. You know, at times it does feel like like too big a workload. Um, maybe not so much in Puzzle Box. That was that was a much smaller film. But definitely enough she died. I mean, I had I had probably a few too many hats on that film. But you know, I don't know, you just, you learn how much one person can do before they break. <laughs> and then you take that knowledge into the next film. You're like, all right, I don't want to do this part of it anymore. I'm going to get somebody else to do that. And I can focus on this. And you, know, you find a real, you find the people you like working with and you find what they like to do and what, what, what they know and how that knowledge complements your knowledge. And 
don't know, you just create a good team from there. We're almost in like this uh, genre revival this year for Australian films with major films like Talk to Me, of course, and then uh, Godless as well. And then we've got obviously Night of Horror Film Festival as well. What's it like being part of this reemergence of Australian genre films? And by like, I find it interesting when we use the term genre, when we really just mean horror or science fiction, but it's like, you know, you know what we mean, but what was it like being part of that kind of movement that's happening right now? Uh, it's super exciting. I mean, I, I, I'm fully aware that I'm but a tiny speck in this giant uh, bowl of, of Australian horror, and I'm just excited to be included in the conversation in any way, shape or form, because I'm amongst so many amazing films and so many amazing filmmakers. And I mean, Talk to Me, Godless, even Birdie Day, which kind of falls a little bit into, into the genre of, of horror thriller. I don't know, there's just so many exciting films. And I think Australia's always sort of been at the forefront of these, especially in the last like, 20 years, of these very interesting and these very unique horror stories. And um, our horror stories have resonated quite well overseas and internationally, and that's why there's always this this sort of international audience for them and international thirst for them. And we premiered Puzzle Box in the US already. We haven't premiered here in, in Australia yet. Uh, that'll be at Night of Horror. But people seem to just really like the genre at the moment. I like the genre at the moment. I think it's a really creative time. I think all these filmmakers as well, you look at them and I mean, most of them aren't going for like government funding. They're not going for big budgets. They're all very independently produced or they're, you know, they're outside the box or they're international funding even. And I don't know, all these, all these awesome Australian filmmakers are just getting creative and in both their filmmaking styles and their their approaches to to funding and, and getting films made and, and i don't know it's just exciting I, i'm enjoying watching all of these movies and i'm, I'm enjoying uh seeing what's uh, what's coming to the big screen soon like do you want to become known as predominantly a horror filmmaker or do you want to move into other genres i've always loved horror it's always been a big part of my life and I, I i definitely am enjoying being in it at the moment and exploring all these horror films at the moment there's my next one's also in the realm of horror, but it's not something I, I necessarily want to do every single film as, you know, there's, there's so many other genres out there that I love and I, I'd love to explore and I've got scripts ready to go in, in other genres. I don't think I'll ever abandon horror, you know, I think it, it'll always it'll always be a part of me. <laughs> I want to also talk about the aesthetics of the titles in Puzzle Box. It, obviously, it's not a prominent thing in the actual film, but it is... It does actually really lean into the uh, texture of the film as well quite a bit. And I'm curious if you can talk about the creative choice of a certain type of video camera that is used here and the, a certain type of font that is used for, do you want to delete this memory card? That kind of thing is like such a really, it's a vibe in itself. Can you talk about choosing that? It's a vibe. I love that. Yeah, no, it's, it was uh, a, a lot of that came about during uh, well, the title cards anyway that you're referring to came about during the, the editing process. They weren't ever in the script. That was uh, uh, without giving away the, the, the plot. It's or some spoilers of the plot. It's it was a way to show the audience that, you know, there's a repetition to the way that things are unfolding in this film. There's a repetition to the, the cycle of addiction that the character of Kate is going through. And so it was it was important to visually show that in a way that we hadn't seen before. But I also wanted to incorporate different styles of found footage in the movie, you know. So there is there is that, that you know, they're deleting footage and the, the card's resetting itself and things are happening over and over again. And then there's also, like, you'll see splices of, previous cards that sort of flash throughout the movie so there's there's security footage from uh an incident in kate's past that you see glimmers of uh in black and white that sort of come in at, at uh 
the right moments throughout. And so, I don't know, it was just, it was a, a way of sort of showing this endless cycle of addiction and this endless cycle of all the torment and the trauma that she's gone through as a character and how do we visually explore that in the found footage style, uh, which, you know, found footage is normally, it is not like a traditional narrative, you know, you don't have your traditional camera shots, you don't have your traditional camera, your story structure. Um, you don't typically do flashbacks in found footage, but we wanted to find a way to sort of show glimmers of the past within that that style of filmmaking. Yeah, it, it gave me echoes of Cloverfield, no way, which is also another really prominent found footage film. But I love the way in your film and also in Cloverfield, how those glimpses or the fractures in the memory card kind of inform who the characters are. And it gives us little things to hold on to, which is really nice because that's what we want in a film that is, you know, full of so many twists and turns that we don't know where we're going sometimes. And it's exciting to be able to go down that path of not knowing, but then going, all right, well, let's, you know, what is this one second of footage that we just saw? How does that inform who these people are? And of course we get to know, but it's, it is such a really uh, quite a layered way of telling a story. Uh, I quite like that aspect of it. So congratulations. It's, it's, yeah, it's neat. Thank you very much. <laughs> what are you looking forward to about A Night of Horror the most as well? Oh, I love it. It's great. We premiered after she died there last year and we, we, we picked up a couple of awards there, which was super, super exciting. And unfortunately last year I was, I was very busy at the time. I was working on a film. Uh, so I didn't have a time to see a lot of the films. I only met the filmmakers really at the closing night ceremony. And so this year I'm really just excited to to go and to see the films and to meet the filmmakers and to just sort of see what they've got in store. I don't really know a lot about what each of the films are. So I'm just excited to turn up blind and, you know, go in on the journey and see what happens. No, I mean, it's a great film festival. I mean, Bryn and the team, they do a fantastic job at bringing all of these unique low budget Australian and international horror movies to the big screen and to big sold out audiences. And I don't know, it's a great festival and I love the team there and I love the audience there and I'm excited. I'm excited to come back. Should be a good year. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.